Welcome to the Communities Podcast. We greet you in the precious name of our Lord Jesus, whom we adore, of course. We pray this word will richly bless you and speak to your heart. Enjoy. Welcome. And it's good to be here this morning. I'm excited to share with you the word, a nugget and a sermon this morning. And uh, you might have noticed, right, that the bishop himself is not in the house of the Lord this morning. And apparently he's got some minor little insignificant cough flu thing going on there. I know Ilana's not feeling great. Like, I can understand that. But I don't know what his excuse is, right? And so there's nothing like getting a voice note on a Thursday afternoon that says, I'll hear it. And so the amount of love that I have for him, like, I cannot express in words at the moment how I feel about Nicholas. Like, there's no ways I can describe how I feel about you, Nicholas. But... We trust that you are getting better, right? We are trusting that you and your household are recovering, that you are resting, and, uh, and that you will restore to full health. And so I'm excited, I'm excited to share with you a nugget this morning. And um, Jamie will bring it on the screen. You can go to 1 Kings chapter 3 this morning. It's, we're going old school. There it is, 1 Kings chapter 3 from verse 5. And this morning I'm going to share with you a nugget on wisdom. And that in order for you to be a good steward, you have to be wise. All right? Follow with me in your Bibles. I see some of you are still turning there. If you can, follow me with me in your Bibles. I'm reading out of the New King James. Okay, let's go from verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him. You have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David. But I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing, and you have not asked long life, for yourself nor have you asked riches for yourself nor have you asked the life of your enemies but you have asked for understanding to discern justice behold i've done according to your words see i've given you a wise and understanding heart so that there may be not be anyone like you before you nor shall any like you arise after you verse 13 and i've also given you what you have not asked both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. Let's just stop there. Right, so based on the scripture that we read, the first question that we must ask is, why was God pleased with Solomon's request? You see, Solomon desired wisdom. Solomon wanted wisdom and understanding, but listen why he wanted it to judge and lead and steward and manage God's chosen people. 
Why is it important to have wisdom? Wisdom will align your decisions in the best interest of his kingdom. Remember, when you are seeking his kingdom, you're actually seeking his heart. And so when you're asking for wisdom, you are saying, Jesus, help me to do it your way. What is it in your best interest? Because Solomon asked for wisdom to steward and manage God's chosen people, that was something that was very close to God's heart. And when you apply wisdom, you're saying, God, I'm going to do this the way you want it to be done. Walking in wisdom means you're seeing things from God's perspective. And that's what a steward does, right? That's what a manager of someone else's property does. A steward is someone who manages someone else's resources to advance his interests, his heart, his kingdom. And the way you do that is by doing it his way. What is wisdom? Wisdom is applied knowledge. So it's important for you to, to get knowledge, to understand it, and then to apply it. What is very interesting is that when you make decisions that are in his best interests, he will add to you that which you didn't even ask for. Notice that God said, Solomon, because you didn't ask this for yourself and this for yourself, I will give you what you didn't even ask for. Why would God do that? Have you asked the question, why would God do that? Because he can trust you. Because you've made your priority his kingdom first. First. And out of that, God says, because of you, because of what you are doing now, I can trust you. I'll give you that which you didn't even ask for, riches and honor. And so it's important that if you want to be a good steward of his kingdom, you have to be wise. Because that means you are doing things his way. And to make this a little bit more practical this morning, from a financial perspective, what I want to do is I want you to share your wisdom with the community. Now I'm getting a couple of looks here, and that's okay. But I want you to share with me the best financial advice you have ever made in your life to date. So how it's going to work is in this coming week, I want you to text me, email me, WhatsApp me, whatever the case is. And I want you to share with me the best financial advice you have ever made in your life. I will collate it, and I'll do a follow-up nugget on wisdom where I want to share this. The reason why I want to do this is because at some point in your life, you benefited from a great decision. And I want to see the community blessed. I want to see you guys make good financial decisions. And why not share that with the community? But I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight what he wants you to share. And so to give you some pointers, right? And I hope I'm not going to get into trouble for this. To give you some pointers, it could be anything that's applicable to you, that worked for you, the best financial advice. For example, it's as simple as opening, a, uh, opening up a savings account for a rainy day, for a wedding day, for a baby day, for a holiday. It's simple, but it's powerful. It could be leaving other people's money alone, like loans. It's simple, but it's powerful. It could be ticking that box which said you want to be married out of community of property. That's a bad example, people. I'm joking. Do not do that. That's one for the, for the married folk. 
but it is something that worked for you. I'm not going to make jokes because I see it is a bad one. <laughs> but it's something that worked for you because we want to share that with the community, right? That's the purpose. There's intention behind why we want to do this. It's not just to have fun and games. That's not my intention yet. And so remember, it's the best financial advice you have made because your wisdom can actually help someone else down the line when they need it at that point in time because you've shared the knowledge. All that they have to do is they have to apply it. Okay? Right. That was the nugget. Let's get on to the sermon. So this morning I'm excited to share with you um, my sermon. And you can go to Matthew chapter 21. Thanks, Jeremy. Matthew 21 from verse 6. I'm still in the New King James Version. Matthew 21 verse 6. This is an opportune time to share this message. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Matthew 21 from verse 6. Okay, let's go. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 10. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Let's just stop there. My house shall be called a house of prayer. I want to share with you this morning something that's so vital, and yet it's so simple. It's so familiar to us that that's the danger. Have you ever considered that you are a house of prayer? Have you ever considered that Jesus was speaking to you when he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer? The temple was the center stage of everything. It was a center stage for prayer, for worship, for sacrifice. And it's at the temple that Jesus introduces us to something very, very special about his temple. What is interesting about this event is that the people that Jesus drove out, actually, they were meant to be there. The people who sold animals for sacrifice actually had to be there because logistically, right, it was difficult for a Jew to carry the animal from wherever you came from to the temple to make sacrifice. And so naturally, it made sense that these people had to be there for you to sell. But these people, they, 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 they charged exorbitant prices. There was corruption. They turned his temple into something else. The money changes were made to be there, right? Because you had to use the acceptable currency when you went to the temple. And so they would change the various currencies that were in use 
for the acceptable currency, but they would charge commissions. They changed the temple to something that was not meant to be, it was meant to be done outside. What am I getting at? Everyone is involved in ministry, right? Ministry means service. So whether you're working at a bank, whether you're at home with your kids, whether you're a teacher, a hairdresser, whether you're a pastor, whether you're singing in the band, whether you're welcoming people at the door, whether you've cleaned the toilets this morning, the question is, how was your service to the Lord? How are you doing what God has called you to be? In what manner is your service to the Lord? You see, these people were in the temple, yet they were out of sync with the purpose of what the temple was meant to represent. They were in the temple, but they did not live out the purpose of what was called my house of prayer. What's the issue here? The first thing Jesus does when he comes into Jerusalem is he goes straight to the temple. He doesn't make a detour via the palace of Pilate and have a cup of tea with him. He doesn't challenge him and overthrow him as ruler. No. The first thing Jesus does when he enters Jerusalem is he goes straight to the temple. That's where he wanted to be. And so he comes in. He throws everyone out, including the animals. It says in John chapter 2 that he made a whip and he drove them out. He overturns the tables and says, take these things from here. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Jesus came to throw out corrupt worship, false sacrifice, and prayerlessness. To bring in true worship, worthy sacrifice, and people that will seek after him through prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. You see, the temple is the issue. God's house of prayer is the issue. It's not Rome. It's not the ruling government. What is going on socially, economically, politically is not the major concern here. God is not concerned with people's relationship to Rome. Jesus is concerned with people's relationship to God. And that's why he goes to the temple. The state of the nation is a reflection of the state of the church, the temple. Peter says it this way. He says, the time has come for judgment to start at the house of God. Judgment starts at the house of God. And so if there's an, if there's an issue at the house of God, there's going to be an issue in the nation. What Jesus is saying here is that my father's house must be run my father's way, and not the way you think it must be run. Jesus says, my father's house will be called a house of prayer. The atmosphere of my father's house is supposed to be prayer. The atmosphere is supposed to be people coming to God, coming to the temple, opening up their hearts in prayer and worshiping him. Oh, but shall I have a different style? Shall I have a different background? I have a different tradition? Shall I have a different culture? No, it doesn't matter. Jesus, Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. The Bible says in all manner of prayer, make your requests known to God. God's house, the Christian life, is always supposed to be filled with the aroma of prayer. Preaching, yes, 
but my house shall not be called a house of preaching. Music, yes, but my house shall not be called a house of music. Serving, absolutely, but my house shall not be called a house of music. My house shall be called a house of prayer. What is supposed to distinguish your house from other people's houses, your life from other people's lives, is the aroma of prayer. In other words, the smell that you leave behind must be the aroma of prayer. This does not mean that every congregation and every person must go by the name house of prayer, but what it does mean is that your character should be such that when people look at you, the first thing that they naturally think of, the first thing that they're naturally reminded of, that comes into the head is, wow, this person, he's a house of prayer. The sad reality is, is that we have time for everything except prayer. I'll stick up my hand. I'm the first one in there. This guy right here. The most common excuse I've heard people say that they don't have time for prayer is that they're too busy. Maybe it's because you just don't realize the importance of prayer. You don't actually know what your prayer means to God. I'm going to tell you now what it means to God. It's just not a priority, maybe. Because if it was, we would make time to pray. Prayer is not just for the intercessor. It's for everyone. Prayer is not optional. It's essential. And this message is coming down hard, and I don't mean it to come down hard. It's going to get better, I promise. But if the shoe fits... Let it fit. In the Old Testament, people had a temple to go to. They had a place to go to where they could dedicate themselves to the Lord. But remember that God no longer centers his presence in one particular building. Like he did in the Jerusalem temple. Listen, because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, because of your faith in him, you are the temple. You are a house of God. We are now his dwelling place. And because he lives inside of us, he can say, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is inside of you? That you receive from God? And that you are not your own? Let me ask you a question. If we are supposed to be filled, or sorry, if we are supposed to be called a house of prayer, what is the condition of your house? When Jesus comes to the temple, his dwelling place, what does he find? When the Lord calls you and he gives you identity, he gives you purpose, he gives you character, and he says, my house, you should be called a house of prayer, how are we walking in it? In what manner is your service to the Lord? You see, the temple, the dwelling place of Jesus, is supposed to be a place of prayer. Why is prayer important? I'm going to ask a number of questions this morning that are stated differently, but they mean exactly the same thing, coming down to the fact of why is prayer important. Prayer means to face the one who can bear the burden. Nick gave us a great picture of oxen and the yoke, right? Prayer means to face the one who can bear the burden. Which means that when you are facing the one who can bear the burden, you have faith in the one who can bear the burden. 
And so faith and prayer are inseparable. In other words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So when faith is needed in your prayer life, the word is needed concerning the situation that you are in. Because when the word is released concerning the situation that you're praying for, faith arises. In other words, if you believe that God is in it, the fire will fall even though the wood is wet. Why does God call you to pray? It's such a powerful question. Why does God call you to pray? God's desire is for you. He wants to be with you. His desire is to simply be with you. And when you are praying, when his house is praying, that desire is fulfilled. Let me remind you what desire means. Desire is a strong hope or wish for something to happen. That's desire. So, God's desire is just to be with you, to have relationship with you. And when you are praying, do you know what happens to God? His cup runs over. His desire is fulfilled. That's all he wants. You might think that you're maybe not good enough, or that your sin is so great that you will only pray next week, next month, or maybe you'll start praying when you think God has forgotten about your sin. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there because I don't know how we think, right? We can think up some weird stuff. But don't you know that nothing can separate you from the love of God? You will see that the more time you spend in prayer, the more you realize you're not alone. The more time you spend in prayer, the more you realize that you are good enough. Because he'll tell you. Why does Jesus care so much about his house being centered around prayer? Why does Jesus care so much about his house being centered around prayer? Because prayer is the evidence that his house is centered around God. That's the evidence. The more you focused on yourself, the less you'll pray. The more you focused on God, the more you'll pray. All that Jesus did was based on the will of the Father. How did Jesus know what the will of the Father was? He prayed. The Bible says that Jesus would wake up a great while before dawn, before the sun comes up, and go into the mountain and pray. It says that he would often pray the entire night. Maybe that's why the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because the disciples saw Jesus do the sin continuously. The disciples saw Jesus uh, having this great commitment to prayer. In fact, this prayer, this, this thing called prayer is so deep actually, that the apostle Paul, when he got converted, this great persecutor of the church, Jesus says to Ananias, Ananias, go to Damascus and pray for this person called Saul. And Ananias is like, uh-uh, Jesus, this man is trouble. Do you know what Jesus says? Listen, listen. He says, no, Ananias, you can go. This man is a chosen vessel of mine, and he is praying. The same Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him how to do God's work. He says, Timothy, first of all, I want supplications in your church. Timothy, you have to remember, first of all, I want supplications and prayer and intercession. That's first of all, Timothy. Timothy, you have to remember, my house shall be called a house of prayer. In the same chapter, later on, 
Paul writes, it says, I wish all men would lift up hands everywhere. Holy hands, without doubt or, or wrath. Is that not a sign of a Christian church? Is that not a sign of his house? Imagine, just imagine for a second, but really quickly imagine with me that this is what your prayers mean to God, that he would have a golden bowl where your prayers are placed and it's like incense to him. That's what your prayers mean to God, that he keeps it in a golden bowl it's like incense to him. That's your aroma that you give to Jesus. And that's precisely why Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. What does it mean to function as a house of prayer? It's all the same questions, right? But it comes down to the importance of prayer. And that's what I want you to, to understand. What does it mean to function as a house of prayer? It means that God speaks to us right here, and he moves us. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. And then we speak his words back to him, and his cup runs over. That's the function of God's house, is that God moves us that we search out the will of the Father, we seek his kingdom, we seek his heart, we seek his ways, we seek his mysteries, and we speak that on the earth so that his will can be done. The Bible says one will put 1,000 to flight. Two, 10,000 to flight. That's the power of prayer, right? In other words, your prayer is 10 times magnified when someone is agreeing with you. What's the secret? To your faith, it's his authority and it's his presence. Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, where is he? He's in the midst, if you can just believe. If you can just believe it. Prayer was designed by God. He designed it. He ordained it. And that's why when his house is praying, God moves. God designed prayer to be inseparable from his people because God uses your prayers to accomplish his will on this world. Prayer is important because it concerns the Father. It concerns things that are on his heart. It concerns the one who can bear the burden. And so when you pray, God has to move. When you pray to the one who can bear the burden, it means you are dependent on him to move. It means that you have faith in him. And I'm glad you're asking me for proof. I'm giving you my final proof before I close off. But Isaiah chapter 37, go check it out. It's a great, great story. The king of Assyria basically writes Isaiah, um, writes Hezekiah a letter, right? And he says to Hezekiah, I'm going to destroy you like I did to all the others before you. What are you going to do about it, Hezekiah? What do you have in your arsenal? Do you know what Hezekiah does? He rolls up that letter. He walks to the temple. He spreads this letter out before the Lord, and he cries out to the Lord. 
The prophet Isaiah comes to him and says, thus says the Lord. Listen, because you prayed, I will deliver you. Isaiah 37, because you prayed, I will deliver you and your nation. And so, in closing, God's desire is just to be with you. It's to be for you and with you. That's his desire. And when you are praying, his desires are filled. Because he just wants relationship. That's all he wants. When God calls you by a specific name, you have to understand that it indicates certain character and how you are to function. God not only calls you a son of God, he not only calls you a daughter of God, but he calls you and he says, my house, this community, I want you to be a house of prayer. Amen. Amen.